A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. You know, the frequently used device in some action movies where the protagonist is standing there and then all of a sudden there's an explosion or an earthquake and the ground beneath their feet starts to split and they have to make a decision whether they're going to leap left or right. They use it in comedies too, of course, and in those cases the protagonist dithers and their legs get spread farther and farther apart and everybody laughs. That image kind of came to my mind when I was thinking about Nicodemus in John's Gospel But in John's Gospel, Nicodemus isn't faced with a physical, but a a spiritual fissure. Nicodemus makes three appearances in John's Gospel, and they're brief but important. I believe that John's community is remembering and writing about Nicodemus, highlighting these stories and these appearances because they're trying to say something important to their members and to us about what kind of a community they are and want to be and what kind of a community we might be to one another. In this first conversation, we learn a lot of things about Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus and he calls him rabbi and teacher, so he pays Jesus respect. And he also says that he can see through the signs and wonders that Jesus is performing that indeed he is of God or from God or has God's presence. So when other people in the Gospels approach Jesus with those those kinds of respect and those kinds of inquiries, often that means that they're seeking to be disciples or they're in the beginning stages of becoming a disciple. They're expressing those first questions, those first queries that are so important in our faith life. But John's Gospel also remembers this detail, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Throughout John's Gospel, they employ very effectively this image of light and dark, that metaphor. In John's first chapter, you remember we have those beautiful poetic proclamations about Jesus being the light of the world. We read those at Christmas time. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Light represents goodness and truth. By contrast, later in this same chapter, we hear these words. Some people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They did not come to the light so that their deeds might not be exposed. Pretty straightforward. Also, if you caught it, Nicodemus said, we know that these signs and wonders, we've noticed those. Nicodemus it identifies him as a, as a Pharisee, as one of the religious and social leaders. He's an authority. He's part of that group. That's, and so he's come, has he come as somebody independently, personally seeking to know about Jesus, or has he come from that particular group? 
that leadership group. In the chapter right before this, in the second chapter, Jesus is already overturning tables and driving money changers out of the temple. So he's on their radar. Here, of course, we're obliged to pause and remember that when John's gospel or any of the gospels use the Jews or the religious leaders or the authorities, that's in a very specific historical context. Sometimes these scriptures have been taken out of that context and used to persecute our Jewish brothers and sisters, and that is always and everywhere, everywhere wrong and to be condemned. Jesus responds to Nicodemus's inquiry in this first conversation, and he says, to see, to enter into the kingdom of God, to see the world in this new light, one must open themselves up to God's spirit. The kingdom of God is happening all the time all around us, but to see that and to enter into it, we have to accept God's free gift of the Holy Spirit. We have to, we have to see ourselves and the world through the beauty and the wonder of God's eyes. And so the rest of this chapter uses words like receive, accept, believe. I want to take a moment and reflect on how important it is for, for us down through history to envision the kingdom of God, even if we do so imperfectly. I just started a, a book that came out this summer. Uh, it's called The Great Dissenter, and it's about John Marshall Harlan. He was a Supreme Court justice in the post-Civil War era. Now, he was from Kentucky, so not a hotbed of liberal ideology, but he was a devout Presbyterian. Time and again, the Supreme Court in that era held up segregation and Jim Crow laws and, and laws that promoted economic injustice and oppressed the average working people of the country. And Harlan was often the lone dissenter against those decisions. Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist re, uh, leader, wrote this. In the early days of the anti-slavery conflict, when anti-slavery men were few and were often ridiculed for their numeric insignificance, I was wont to control or console myself with what seemed to many a transcendental idea that one man with God is a majority. That if such a man does not represent what is, he does represent what ought to be and what ultimately will be. The colored people and their friends may well enough avail themselves of this sublime consolation in their present situation and in view of the righteousness and heroic stand taken in defense of liberty and justice by Justice John M. Harlan. We can see that John's community has set up a clear choice here for Nicodemus and for everyone else between the light and the dark. And now we await to see what Nicodemus chooses in those real-life situations. He reappears in John's seventh chapter, and by this time the relationships with the Pharisees have continued to go downhill, and some of the Pharisees want to arrest Jesus, and Nicodemus speaks up and he says, he says, the law doesn't allow us to do that without a fair hearing of the person. And the other Pharisees jump all over him. They accuse Nicodemus of being a disciple of Jesus, Think of how uncomfortable that must have been for him because Nicodemus is a person of power and privilege and prestige, and here he is having to stand up to his peer group. 
he has a lot to lose in this particular situation. And yet here he seems to be defending Jesus, but John's community, as they're remembering and recording this story, remembers an important detail. What Nicodemus is doing actually is just citing a technicality in the law. Is he really defending Jesus, or is he simply upholding the law? Which side of the fissure Nicodemus is standing on is still a question. Nicodemus makes one more final appearance in the Gospel of John, and that's after the crucifixion. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go and they request Jesus' body, and they lay him in the tomb. Now, Joseph and Nicodemus must have been people of extraordinary privilege and power to be able to get that extraordinary request granted. They're not only risking, in this case, their prestige, their fortunes, but Joseph and Nicodemus are actually risking their whole lives. You'll remember that even Peter, when push comes to shove before the crucifixion, fears for his life and denies Jesus. I think it's easy for us to forget or want to forget how much some people have suffered to birth justice into the world in various times. Since it's our church's centennial year, I've been reading a lot from the times right before our church was founded. And recently I read an article about Lucy Burns. She was a suffragette, one of the women who's out campaigning for women's right to vote. And if you're doing the math, yes, it's only been that long in the United States that women have had the right to vote. You may have heard of the Night of Terror. That was November 14th in 1917. 33 of the suffragettes had been arrested and jailed, and the warden told the jailers to teach them a lesson. The women were beaten and tortured in ways that we won't discuss here, some so severely that they never recovered from their injuries. Lucy Burns herself, her body and spirit broken, eventually withdrew from activism. I've never experienced anything that extreme, but I'll say one thing from personal experience. All of us, we probably can't imagine what our lives would be like today, what our jobs would be like today, if the early labor movement had not succeeded. You know, those women and men who advocated for the end of child labor, for safety in the workplace, for decent working weeks, hours, and all benefits, all those kinds of things, they sacrificed at great personal expense. The most challenging ministry that I'm ever involved in is when I walk with our new unions, our new generations of union brothers and sisters who are trying to advocate for safety and for decent hours and for adequate pay, especially when I'm in relationship with our registered nurses who are advocating not only for themselves, but also for us, all of us patients. To walk into the boss face-to-face -face with grievances to risk career, their children's groceries, their roof over their head, their bravery humbles me. When John's community names Nicodemus in this final appearance, 
They do so in a very specific way. They say, Nicodemus, who had come at first to Jesus by night. Now, scholars are going to debate uh, what that phrase means, what's the significance of that, and there are certainly many good options. I'm going to tell you what it says to my heart and see how that sounds to you. First, for John's gospel of Jesus throughout the whole gospel, clearly they are want to say that they're all in, that this is a group of people who are trying to live the kingdom of God in their daily lives through the power of God's Holy Spirit, following Jesus' teaching and his example in his ministry here on earth. Second, John's community is saying everyone has a, a first and ongoing encounter with Jesus and Christianity, and that can be, that can be confusing. Uh, there are lots of questions, whether you're seven days old or 17 years old or 70 years young, to think about this gift of God's spirit and seeing the world in a very different way. Uh, well, I say there are lots of questions. And as you live in community, as you pray, as you read scripture, as you serve, well, the good news is uh, that there's always more to discover and learn about. Third, I think that John's community is reminding us that Nicodemus had to face real-life situations where he had to choose between light and dark. We all have those. Here's a quote I wish I'd written. It's from Brandon McGilley. There is no neutral way to be in the world. We're either performing our duties to God and our neighbor, or we are not. We're either living in and reflecting God's light to others, or we are absorbing it into our own darkness and denying it to others. We're either growing closer to God, or we are receding from God. And when the church and its proper orientation toward the Lord recede from our personal and community consciousness, the rest of the world rushes back in. Which brings me to my, my final my final point, I think that they're remembering Nicodemus very intentionally because they see him as an example that we can all learn from. We all need a support system to be able to live ever more fully in this vision, this belief of the kingdom of God. We need companions to, to experience that grace we need people to help us in the messiness of life. We need to be able to hold each other's hands and talk to people, ask questions. We need a community that supports us in being brave, in stepping away from some of the cultural behaviors that don't respect all of our brothers and sisters. And that can be hard to lay down our privilege and our power. We need a community to hold us accountable when we shortfall that responsibility. We need a community that's committed to us and that we can invest in. And we need a community, I believe, that reminds us that for the most part, our spiritual journey, our spiritual growth is much like Nicodemus's. It's a gentle, if inconsistent curve toward maturity, toward living ever more fully in God's love, peace, hope, joy, in that spirit 
And so we look for a community. We need a community, as did Nicodemus, that has just the right balance between patience and prodding. 